Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Chapter 212 of WCBS Author Talks. I'm your host, Lisa T., and this week... Author Tara Moss offers up a refreshing feminist twist on the classic noir mystery genre. Thriller writer Fiona Barton shares why small towns are never as peaceful as they seem. And fresh off her around-the-world trip, photographer and travel expert Jessica Nabongo shares how to best enjoy a first trip to a new country. If you're a fan of noir, but wish the female characters in those kinds of stories weren't always damsels in distress or femme fatales, You'll love what author Tara Moss has to offer. Inspired by an obsession with the 1940s time period, her books featuring female private investigator Ms. Billy Walker is a refreshing twist on the classic. I got to chat with Tara about the second book in her series titled The Ghosts of Paris. This book is the follow-up to The War Widow, which was an international bestseller, and it introduced us to your feisty female detective, Ms. Billy Walker. Tell us what she's up to this time around. Thanks, Lisa. I felt like The Ghost of Paris was kind of a natural follow-on from the events in The War Widow. So any of the readers who read the first one know that there are a few uh, personal mysteries hanging over P.I. Billy Walker's head, and that really comes to a head here in The Ghost of Paris. Um, We get to see her jet off from Sydney, where she has her private investigation business, her agency, and fly to London and Paris at the behest of a quite amazing woman, actually, Mrs. Montgomery, whose husband has been missing for two years. Now, keep in mind that in 1947, it was not a very easy time to be a single woman or an unattached woman, if you will. And the social scrutiny um, that was aimed at women, especially if they seemed eligible, if you will, was not spared widows, despite how many widows, um, how many women became widows during the war. Um, women who were not attached were looked at, at with some suspicion because it was assumed that they you know, wanted to get a man immediately and there weren't as many to go around, so to speak, um, after the horrible events of World War II. So Mrs. Montgomery has a lot of reasons to try to solve the mystery of what happened to her own husband. And she's, uh, she's hired Billy Walker to, to solve that mystery. But that mystery naturally brings Billy back to Europe, where her uh, own experiences during the war took place. Um, and it really brings to a head the mystery in Billy's life about what happened to her own husband, Jack Rake. 
I'm glad you started off talking about what it was like for a woman in this time period because mm. Billy gets a lot of these marital cases after having her name in the news. And you really do set it up about how torn she is to have to do this kind of work because she sees it as kind of the dirty work and she takes it on so that she can do the cases that really inspire her. That's right. Um, marital work for a private investigator is bread and butter. Um, and I did quite a bit of research myself um, when I got my private investigator credentials a few years back and actually went out on cases of marital work with uh, private eyes doing their work. It was uncomfortable, I will say. Um, it's a really odd feeling to tell people to follow them, even though you know it's for a job. It just kind of goes against my natural sense of... Um, I guess my sense of right and wrong was kind of challenged by following people, knowing that they didn't realize I was looking at them. So Billy has that sense of discomfort as well, knowing she's following people as they're going about their lives, but she's doing it really for quite good reasons, especially in 1947. And for quite a long time after that, you needed proof of adultery to be able to um, escape a marriage. If that marriage was abusive, if that marriage was filled with great unhappiness, you just you couldn't get out of it without the help of a private investigator. So the service that Billy Walker's providing in the 1940s is quite a valid and important service, but it does mean that she has to follow people while they're going about their lives and sometimes doing some pretty intimate stuff that you really wouldn't otherwise be watching. And did you become a PI in order to research and write these books? Absolutely. You are dedicated. <laughs> I'm quite dedicated. I'm pretty obsessed with research. I've been choked unconscious for book research. I've been set on fire for book research. Um, obviously not at the same time, because that would be far too much for even me to handle. Um, I've been to morgues and seen autopsies. Um, the morgue scene actually in this book in, in Paris is very much inspired by real life uh, interactions in those environments. Um, and yes, I got my private investigator credentials. So, you know, if, if things ever bomb as a, as a writer, you, you can probably find me in the phone book. Look me up <laughs> I love that. for some investigation work. Uh, and I know also that this time period, this post-World War II Europe, Australia, is also something you're kind of obsessed with very much obsessed with. Um, I was raised on stories of World War II, particularly from my Oma and Opa, my mother's uh, parents. And they survived uh, occupied Holland, so Nazi-occupied Holland. And my Opa was taken by the Nazis and forced into slave labor, which was, uh, you know, it's one of the many topics in, um, in both of the books in this series, really, is, is what the Nazis did, how they did it. And there's a mention of Slave, slave labor in the camps as part of their kind of, I guess, fueling the Nazi machine. So my Opa was caught up in that. Thankfully, he survived. Um, he escaped uh, actually by bribing the foreman. He was a baker by trade, and my Oma would cycle across Holland, and she would smuggle uh, uh, sugar and flour in the hollows of her bicycle and bring those to my opa who was in Berlin, you know, in this camp, uh, work camp. And he would use those ingredients to bake bread in the munitions ovens and to bribe the foreman with it. And finally it worked and the foreman gave him a day pass so that he could leave the, you know, those high fences and those walls. 
and he used that to escape and he never came back. So my opa survived extraordinary things. My oma was so brave to ride through all of those checkpoints, um, smuggling these ingredients for her husband. And stories like that really inspired me to write this series with Billy Walker. The War Widow was dedicated to them. Um, their daughter, my mom, Janie, uh, she is who I've dedicated The Ghost of Paris to. And it's really the way ordinary people achieved extraordinary things during the war. That's really where my focus is. That's We hear a lot about Hitler and Churchill and military campaigns, and that's fascinating. But really what what motivates me as a writer are the ordinary people and what they did, because those stories are not told often enough. These books have been described as hard-boiled noir with a feminist twist. And I just wonder, why was it so important to you to make Billy this specific kind of female character? And I will say, <laughs> as I was reading this book, I totally wanted to be more like her, more kick-ass and more unapologetic. <laughs> She's a great role model. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Um, I wanted a woman, I felt like, you know, I want to be in her girl gang. I want to go and have a champagne cocktail with her, you know. Uh, she is a product of her time. She's quite progressive for her time, but she does represent a real group of women who during that era were doing the most amazing things. And they were doing it in the face of a lot of bias and sexism that was still very prevalent. Um, particularly right after World War II, after years of encouragement from you know, even in government campaigns to try to get women to join the workforce, to work in factories, to you know, do their bit for the uh, allies, so to speak, women were suddenly told, thank you very much, back in the kitchens now. And they were encouraged in no uncertain terms to leave the workforce, to leave the jobs for the returning soldiers. And if they didn't do that, there was harsh social scrutiny. I mean, there was a lot of criticism and it was extremely difficult for them. So if you add to that being a widow, so you're a single woman, or maybe you've never been married, you're an unmarried woman, maybe you're not interested in men. Wow. You know, if you're a woman who doesn't have a man at her side and she's in the workforce, that was a really tricky time. And that's part of what inspired me to write about this period because of these social and cultural changes and how they impacted people. Can we expect more adventures featuring Billy? Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm actually writing the third adventure right now. Um, so in a couple of years, I hope you will see Billy Walker adventure number three. Oh, well, I, I highly look forward to that. We've been talking. <laughs> we've been talking with Tara Moss. The latest book is The Ghosts of Paris. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Lisa. It was a great pleasure. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's been a few years since we've had a new suspense novel from best-selling author Fiona Barton, but she's back this summer with Local Gone Missing, a missing person's mystery set in a small seaside town where the residents find themselves at odds with the moneyed weekenders, and you just know 
tensions are primed to boil over. She sets things up for us. This is a new departure. I've got new characters. Um, At the heart of the book is a detective, a woman detective uh, called D.I. Elise King. And uh, as we open the book, um, her life has imploded. Uh, she has lost the love of her life and uh, she has discovered she uh, she's been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so everything she thought she knew about her life um, has gone. And so she's um, looking, um, she's, she feels totally, um, you know, wrong-sided. And so she's waiting in this new house in a new place that she lives um, and she gets drawn into um, um, a missing man, um, the mystery of a missing man um, by her neighbour. Um, she is. Uh, she thinks she can never be the detective she was, but um, she gets um, intrigued by this small, slightly amateurish uh, investigation uh, that she carries out with her very nosy neighbour. And so the journey begins and takes several very dark turns. So the setting is this idyllic, supposed to be peaceful seaside town. And in places like this, I think a lot of people have had this experience. The people who live there love to blame outsiders for every problem that might pop up. And I have to say, you really exploit that way of thinking to great results in this book. Well, I am a newcomer where I am now. We've moved to the seaside. And so I it was great because during lockdown, um, there was very little that people could do. But the social media um, opened my eyes to um, to what was happening in places like this, these small towns where small, small things, you know, somebody's parked a car badly, just explodes into outrage and uh you know and escalates so quickly so you know that's meat and drink to a thriller writer so um yeah so I decided I would um plug into that and and see what it was that was causing this uh angst really and at the same time you've also destroyed that stereotype that small towns are peaceful idyllic quiet places where nothing happens because everything happens in this town of Ebbing (laughs) Well, and and small towns are never peaceful and idyllic. You know, seaside towns, you think, oh, it's beautiful, sparkly sea and the blue sky and, and little cafes and all this. You think, oh, this is wonderful. But there's a lot going on under the surface, um, you know, because there is this, if you've got a nice place to live, uh, other people will come and want to live there too. And uh, there's this, you know, terrible tension between weekenders and the people who live there all the time, um, you know, each um, leading completely different lives. I have to say my my favorite character is Ronnie, who you mentioned earlier. She's the, the nosy neighbor who loves mysteries and police investigations. And I would have to guess that that anyone who likes thrillers, who likes to watch true crime and is not a police officer has a little bit of Ronnie in them. Oh, absolutely. It's like her dream has come true that a murder detective has moved in next door um, and she is desperate, desperate to get involved. Um, yeah, she's she's yeah, I love Ronnie. Uh, she you know, she's uh, she's funny as well. And, you know, it's I, I like that kind of light and shade in a book, you know, it can't always be misery, dark, dark. So uh, Ronnie um, is the um, 
There's a little spark of light on occasions. Two scenes that she were in are the source of my two favorite lines in this book. One is is comparing it to being just like Midsummer Murders, which I ate that show up and binged like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> and then um, when uh, D.I. King says to her, you know that most investigations are not thrillers, don't you? Most of them are solved by good, solid police work. And I feel almost in a way that you have to put that line in there because the because of the real police officers in the world who do all this hard work when it comes to something like this. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, in a TV drama, you know, and I'm a huge fan of TV dramas, and we're watching a wonderful one at the moment. I hope it comes across um, to you called Sherwood. Fantastic. Um, but you've got to compress. You can't have, you know, hours of going through paperwork, looking at phone records. It's boring. Um, so yeah, they have to um they have to compress. But yeah, she's right. You know, it is. It's uh it's careful analysis and but who wants to read that? <laughs> You have a background in journalism, and I actually had a cop once tell me that what he does and what reporters do isn't that far apart because both are always observing. They're watching people. They're watching behaviors, and they're driven by this uh, um, curiosity. And mm. I don't know if you agree with that, but I would imagine that having been a reporter gives you a leg up when writing these kinds of stories. Absolutely. Yeah, he's absolutely right. Um Obviously, being a reporter, you're not then tied up in, you know, the the process of bringing someone to justice um, in a in a in an ordered and uh, and and thought through way. Um, we're much more nimble as investigators. We can dip in, dip out. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, it's we're all looking for the truth. Uh, I know that sounds very grand, but, you know, that's what's at the heart of it all, really, getting to the bottom of things. Um, so, yeah, and and I was so interested in that when I was a reporter. You know, I like crime. I like trials. I liked, you know, writing backgrounders, interviewing people, finding out. It was more the why um, for me, whereas, you know, perhaps the police have to um, concentrate on the what and the how and the when. Um, I was always interested in, you know, what is it that makes somebody do that? The human so aspect used... of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have concentrated on that, I think, um, more um, in the books uh, because it's what interests me. It's what I love to read, too. You've said that the, this is a, a whole new cast of characters for you. What was that process like? Were you scared a little bit of having to sit down and create these new characters from scratch? Or or did you know which direction you wanted to go to and they just started talking to you? Well, no, stupidly. Um, <laughs> I thought this is going to be really good fun. <laughs> you know, creating all these new people. But it's it's hard work, obviously, uh, because a small town, you think, you know, the word small is a complete misnomer because, you know, there are thousands of people living in this town. So... It was, uh, I was excited, and then I was, oh, what am I doing? And uh, and then excited again, once I started getting my characters in place. So I I do start with characters normally, because, you know, that's, that's what makes me tick. Um, and so I let the plot unfold a bit. I didn't know what was going to happen at the end um, when I started. And... Uh, yeah, I like the characters to unfold too. I don't sit and do detailed CVs for them. You know, I don't know what biscuits they eat when I start out. 
but um, you do know now it's, but you know it's nice <laughs> to find out isn't it <laughs> so does, does that mean we'll we'll get another another book with di king and hopefully an appearance by ronnie yes i'm writing it at the moment Excellent. um i'm about fifty-five thousand words in and uh and it's been lovely going back to ebbing um because i i know it now um well i think i do um, and I know my characters. And so, yes, uh, Ronnie is still, you know, the thorn in Elise's side. Uh, <laughs> but there are there are other characters, too, and a different, obviously a different set of circumstances. Well, hopefully we won't have to wait as long for that one as we waited for this one. But <laughs> it's all right. It was worth the wait, Fiona. We've been talking with Fiona Barton. The newest book is Local Gone Missing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks so much. So this isn't breaking news, but I love to travel. And you might have already guessed that from all the travel books I like to feature on this podcast. But I finally met my match in Jessica Nabongo, who not only has managed to visit every country in the world, but was also the first black woman to do it and succeeded in crossing that last country off her list months before the worldwide COVID pandemic shut down travel for everyone. Crazy, right? Her new book, The Catch Me If You Can, highlights some of the countries she was lucky enough to step foot in. And she shared her stories with me. When did you know you wanted to try and visit every country in the world? So it's actually something that I had been wanting to do since my early 20s. But in 2017, I really put a deadline on it and decided that I wanted to visit every country in the world by my 35th birthday. And while I did overshoot it by five months, um, I did finish while I was 35. And you were lucky enough to finish that epic journey months before the pandemic shut down international travel. Yeah, that was super lucky. And who could have guessed? Um, I would have been crushed if I wasn't able to finish it. But yeah, luckily, October 2019 is when I finished. And that was in the, the Seychelles? Yes, which was amazing. 55 of my friends and family came um, to celebrate with me. Now, you in total visited 195 countries. You don't feature every single one you visited in this book. So how did you choose which ones to highlight? Yeah, that's a really great question. Honestly, it was a mixture of the stories that I wanted to tell, um, as well as the images that I had available. Because when I did the journey, I could not have imagined that I would have written a book for National Geographic. Um, so that was what we had to consider. And also, I picked countries that people usually don't hear about um, in a very beautiful way. So places like Iran, Somalia, um, Palestine, many parts of Africa, I wanted to include these stories to familiarize people with these countries outside of the headlines. And we should note that some of these places are off limits to Americans unless you're lucky enough to have dual citizenship somewhere. Yes, very few countries are off limits to Americans. North Korea, the U.S. government doesn't allow you to go there. Iran certainly is tough, um, but absolutely having a Ugandan passport helps me. I entered around 45 countries with my Ugandan passport. How many extra pages did you have to add to your passports? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have, so before they used to allow you to add extra pages and I have a passport that's probably the size of four, but a few years ago they stopped doing that. So you just, you only get double passports. And so you just have to keep getting new ones. 
Um, so I think in the last few years, I've probably gone through like two or three passports, the double ones. What's your advice for people who maybe can't get to every single country in the world, but are looking for to travel to somewhere new? What's the best way to experience a country you're visiting for the very first time? Yeah, I think go in with an open mind and try not to have too much of an itinerary and really rely on the local people to sort of show you what their country is about. I think it's important that we don't travel to countries to confirm what we think we know, but we should travel with a curious mind to be there and ask questions and learn more about that culture in that country. Did you ever go any place where you felt unwelcome? Um... You know, unfortunately, a lot of times I feel unwelcomed in the United States. But outside of that, I wouldn't really say so. I think that's a common misperception. But truly, the my journey was made beautiful by the kindness of strangers. I traveled to 89 countries solo and felt very welcomed in all of the countries. And I think that's something uh, a lot of women are always afraid to do is to travel solo because you hear these these awful stories about women being victimized. And I, I'm guessing that really wasn't your experience either. It wasn't my experience. And, you know, I always say we have to take the negative with a grain of salt as we do with the positive, because, you know, something happening to one woman is awful. But usually before her, there were probably hundreds of thousands of women that went there solo and had a phenomenal experience. But we tend to focus on that one bad experience with one woman rather than focusing on the amazing experiences of like you know, 999,000 other women. So I think we have to really be careful in how we highlight negative news. I'm sure there are some people who are listening to us talking here and are thinking this woman must have had tons of money to be able to do this. (laughs) But you really can travel the world on a budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, my biggest tip is chase the deal, not the destination. Um, If you really want to travel, You can, instead of focusing and saying, hey, I want to go to Costa Rica at this very specific time, because then you're at the mercy of whatever the airline prices are, just sign up for flight deal websites like secretflying.com or the, the flight deal, and then let the deal be your guide. I just jotted that website down. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you've been everywhere, really, what's next? Uh, You know, for me, I'm just really excited for people to dig into the book. You know, it's something that I've been working on for nearly two years, and I'm really just excited to see how people are going to respond to it. Um, So beyond that, you know, I'm just sitting back and and just trying to enjoy life. (laughs) You've totally inspired a a whole new level of travel envy on my my part. I I mean, I love to travel. I've been to a lot of places, obviously don't come close, but I don't think a lot of people do to what you've managed to accomplish. But I love that you have put places I would never even think of on my radar. I love that. Thank you. That's really what I, um, I hope that people get from the book. And I hope that it also helps people to think differently about the world. And before I let you go, let people know where they can catch you on social media. Yes, you can catch me <laughs> at Jessica Nabongo on Instagram. And really, if you just search any social, you'll find me. So we've been talking with Jessica Nabongo. The book is The Catch Me If You Can, One Woman's Journey to Every Country in the World. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your travel schedule to chat with us today. Thank you so much, Lisa. This is great.
and that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time, we'll feature a delightful mashup of a ghost story and a romance novel that you didn't know you needed this summer. Until then, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you want to be the first to know when we publish a new chapter. I'm Lisa Cherkovich. <laughs>